Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers. I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like y'all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Hey, as a quick heads up, I want to let you know that in my real life, you know, I'm Conrad, the mortgage guy. But we don't call our folks who help people save money loan officers like they do at the bank. I always thought that sounded terrible. Instead, we want to be your mortgage advisor. In fact, we want to be your mortgage advisor for life. And we take that honor very seriously. Check out this 4.83 star review. That's right, 4.83 from Jeffrey in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He says, I had worked with you last year to refinance our home before the interest rates dropped. Your team reached out to me to do the process again, to save me more money and ensure that I had the best rate possible. I've never been treated as just another person on the to-do list. Even after I was done doing business, they were still looking to see that I was in the best financial place possible. We're going to go ahead and take a look at your whole financial situation and see if we can improve it. Maybe you've got equity in your house and you've got some high interest rate credit cards. We've probably got some mathematical solutions to get you out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. Maybe we take a look at your current homeowner's insurance and realize, hey, uh, that might be kind of high. You might need another quote. Maybe we're going to make sure that you filed homestead on your house to make sure you've got the best deal on your property taxes. Whatever your circumstance is, if it's home related, we're going to try to take a look and find a way to get you the best deal possible. Just like they say on old WWE programming then now and forever you know it's like they used to say because when you're safe with conrad you're safe with conrad for life no seriously we want to help you save some cash and we want to do it today at savewithconrad.com nmls number 65084 equal housing lender you don't need perfect credit you don't need money out of your pocket and you can skip your next two house payments what are you waiting for get a quote right now find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com I love talking about our friend Steven Singer. 
I'll tell you, the competition must really hate this guy. He just makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers, and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than a guy sitting next to you. And here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The guy next to you may be paying less. Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great, Conrad. Doing absolutely great. Looking forward to another great day. Well, I'm going to do my best to make that a great day for you, but I'm going to have to beat you up a little bit about a not-so-fun segment on a very memorable Nitro. Today, we're going to be doing a bit of a watch-along from March 3rd, 1997, And I know this feels like a random show to be covering here, but as we like to say on the show, context is King. This is the last WCW show at the Omni. Now on the surface, that doesn't seem like a big deal. It's just a building, right? But Arn Anderson has said on his podcast, Arn, that growing up in Rome, Georgia, the Omni was his Madison square garden. Had you ever heard that analogy before Eric? No, I didn't, but it sure does make sense, doesn't it? I mean, Georgia Dome was a big event center, big big venue. All of the big acts that came through the Southeast came through the Georgia Dome and the Omni. But, well, Georgia Dome later, or Omni, which was, yeah, Omni was first, and then it became the Georgia Dome. So um does not surprise me that Arn and a lot of other people that came through professional wrestling in the Southeast, as well as anywhere else in the country felt that way. Yeah. The Georgia dome opened in 92. So all the great wrestling that happened uh, for big shows took place at the Omni. And let's examine some of that rich wrestling history that happened at the Omni back in July of 80, Ole Anderson would turn on dusty roads. And to this day, it's one of the most discussed moments in Georgia championship wrestling history. A few years later in 1983, there was the last battle of Atlanta where Buzz Sawyer and Tommy rich had one of the most prolific cage matches in history. When they found that footage and dropped it on the network a few years ago, boy, it was all the internet wrestling community community could talk about, but two years later is what everybody probably remembers best. 
1985, the horseman put hard times on dusty roads when they broke his leg in a cage and what built to Starcade 85 and created one of the best promos in wrestling history. The infamous dusty roads, hard times promo, uh, in a bit of a precursor for the clash of the champions, Jim Crockett Promotions secured a TBS special in a prime time spot in 1986, and they called it superstars on the Superstation. And that's where we would see the Midnight Express defeat the Rock and Roll Express to become the new tag team champions. And they would headline arenas around the country for the rest of that year. Later that same year, we had Night of the Skywalkers to be featured at Starcade. And everyone remembers that magical moment when Cornette fell from the scaffolding. It's been on every package showing that uh, event year after year. The following year in 87, Dusty created a new match and debuted at the Omni War Games, the match beyond. It was the Horsemen versus the Superpowers and the Road Warriors. It was also the home of Starcade 89, Starcade 92, and Great American Bash 93. A lot of history in that building, Eric. A lot of history indeed. And when was the first Battle of Atlanta? I wanted to write that down, but I didn't. I missed it. What, what year was the first Battle of Atlanta? They the called army? it the last Battle of Atlanta. It was in 83. Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Rich are going to bleed buckets. It's something to see, man. Wow. It was interesting because there was a um, uh, karate promoter in Atlanta, very famous guy, by the, by the way, by the name of Joe Corley. And he used to promote a karate tournament in Atlanta that was the most fun karate tournament anywhere in the country called the Battle of Atlanta. Wow. It was, that started in the 70s. So perhaps a little spin yeah. off Joe Corley's Battle of Atlanta. No doubt about it. Of course, you take over WCW 93, so I want to examine a little bit of WCW's history with the Omni. And as a reminder, boys and girls, yes, we're going to still do the watch along, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about the building itself and how important it was to professional wrestling. Uh, in 93, February 7th, in fact, there's a matinee show at the Omni. It draws 4,600 fans. Some interesting names on the card, a young Steve Regal, two cold Scorpio working with uh, Scotty Flamingo, who we know is going to go on to be Raven. A young Chris Benoit wrestled Tom Zink there. Vinny Vegas was on the card. Paul Orndorff and Cactus Jack had a hell of a match. And of course, big van Vader wrestled sting. And we even had uh, a series of, uh, elimination matches with a whole bunch of WCW talent, but this is sort of the worst of times for WCW. And perhaps that's never more evident than March 28th, 1993. There's 5,200 fans, but check this out, Eric kids get in for a dollar and a penny. Need a gimmick, brother. Everybody needs a gimmick. And that was ours. A dollar and a penny, a dollar and a penny. Uh, Vader's working with sting here again. And, uh, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman are working with Ricky steamboat and Shane Douglas, believe it or not, they go to a 45 minute draw there. The last big event that happened here in 93 for WCW was slam It's uh, the last WCW pay-per-view may 23rd, 1993. There's over 7,000 fans there but only 3,700 paid. This would be right after Bill Watts left. And this is probably most notable for the old timers. We had Don Morocco, Jimmy Snuka, and Dirk, Dick Murdoch fight blackjack Mulligan, Jim Brunzel and Wahoo McDaniel in a no contest. Brad Armstrong would substitute for Bob Armstrong to take on Thunderbolt Patterson, or he would team with Thunderbolt Patterson rather to defeat Baron Von Raschke and Ivan Koloff. Dory Funk Jr. And Nick Bockwinkle went into a 15 minute time limit draw. And something I wish we all could forget, Sting pinned the prisoner, the former nails on that show. 
you also had Arn Anderson get his only title shot against Barry Windham's NWA world title and Davey boy would defeat big van Vader, but by DQ in the main event, is that one of the most regrettable WCW pay-per-views of all time? Perhaps. I, I, yeah, because it was so flat going in. I mean, there was no hope even going into it. Right. Slamboree concept. I kind of like the concept, but WCW didn't have the relationships with, you know, the true legends, the, the, the marquee legends outside of the Southeast um, that would have really made that event feel special. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a half-assed attempt going in. Uh, but like I said, there was, there was, nobody expected you expect. You couldn't even try to con yourself into believing it. There was a chance that it was going to be successful. It just, it was what it was. The show did so poorly on May 23rd that when WCW promotes the great American bash at the Omni on July 3rd, the day before the independence day, the show was canceled due to poor ticket sales. It's rescheduled until August 15th, 1993. Then we've only got 1500 fans. We're calling it the great American bash. And we're letting Dustin Rhodes have a two out of three falls match with Rick rude. We've got Paul Orndorff challenging Ric Flair. So it's world champion versus TV champion. And we've even got Davey boy and sting taking on Vader and Sid in a thunder cage match, but there's only 1500 fans in your hometown. They try it one more time in 1993. Uh, well. Maybe not one more time, but check this out. 800 paid. And there's a note here on October 3rd that the scalpers were selling front row seats for a dollar outside of the building. Just give me something and let me get away from this stinky WCW product. You had effectively killed the town here to the point that by November 25th, Thanksgiving day, which had long been a tradition, the show was canceled. So we tried it again on Christmas night. Or ticket sales again, the show was canceled. We didn't learn our lesson, so we would try one more time Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 1994. And we even announced it's going to be Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, and no one cares. Lack of ticket sales, the show is canceled. And uh, yeah, that's going to wind down WCW and the Omni through 94. The next time it would even be mentioned would be Christmas Eve on 95. Gene Okerlund would report that the WCW hotline had uh, learned that Ricky, the dragon steamboat is going to have his retirement ceremony on new year's day, 1996 at the nitro at the, uh, at the Omni. And of course, eventually he has to correct that and say, Nope, it turns out that legally that was, uh, incorrect. And the lawyers are forcing me to say that we've been given false information. That nitro did actually happen. 6,000 fans are there. Only 3,600 fans were paying. You pulled out all the big stops for it though. In your hometown, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair is in the main event. Of course, there is no retirement ceremony. This feels like man before WCW came around, the Omni was the place to be, but very quickly it almost, if I'm in your shoes, I want to make sure we never run this fucking building again. Yeah, that was my feelings. Uh, going back to 93, you know, and I, you remember a guy by the name of Bob do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, Bob, Bob was the, the vice president of WCW while I was the executive producer. Bob had oversight of all of the live event promotion and obviously negotiated, you know, 
for buildings and so forth. Bob was, you know, Bob came to WCW out of the Omni. I think Bob was the general manager of the Omni for Ted Turner for a number of years before he was assigned <clears throat> to WCW. Uh, and I think the, the logic being, and there's nothing wrong with the logic, but since a lot of people consider WCW to be a live touring promotion that happened to have television, it made sense to have somebody that was fluent in the world of promotion and touring. You would assume a general manager <clears throat> of a major venue like the Omni would be that guy. And that's how Bob got the job. Uh, but Bob, unfortunately, didn't know anything about television, uh, knew less about wrestling, and kept going to the well, as you've pointed out so painfully, <laughs> <laughs> kept going to the well at the Omni. And the other reason was the building was free. Mm. You know, it didn't cost us anything. It was a Turner property. It cost money on paper, technically, intercompany billing and all that good stuff. But um, effectively, it didn't cost WCW any money. So it looked good in some respects. You could have 2,000, 3,000 people there and kind of sort of look okay on paper. But in the interim, what you've done is you've convinced those 800 or 1,000 or 2,000 or 4,000 people that do buy a ticket, you're reinforcing to them just how stupid they must be to buy a ticket that nobody else in Atlanta cared about. I know that's that sounds harsh, but you know it would be like buying a ticket to go see the Rolling Stones. Well, that would be a bad example, but going to, buying a ticket to go see a, a, a musical act that you thought would be fun and get there and realize only 12 other people agreed with you. And you'd kind of start questioning your choices yeah. at that point. And that's kind of what was happening. You know, the, the, you know, you've often heard about audiences being conditioned, you know, getting them fired up for an appearance or a match or whatever. And you go out and you tease them and you get them fired up and you, you condition them so that you get the reaction out of them that you want. Well, this is kind of the same thing, only reverse. What WCW had been doing, 92, 91, 92, certainly uh, on a repetitive basis in 93, was con conditioning the audience to recognize that the property they thought they were interested in, WCW, wasn't worth their interest. And they did a very good job of communicating that to the city of Atlanta and the surrounding communities. So much to unpack here. Uh, I'm really excited to cover this show, but I do want to talk a little bit about Bob Dube since you brought him up. Uh, I see that he was the director of bookings for 12 years for the Omni. Then he was the president from 88 to 96. And then he took a job somewhere in there to become the, what he called the executive vice president of operations for world championship wrestling. And he put on his resume that he had that job from June of 92 through September of 96. And then he leaves both the Omni and WCW at the same time. Why did Bob do not work out long-term for WCW? Do you think, you know, Bob was a, he was a consummate, um, relationship builder. Bob was, um, you could not spend five minutes around Bob do and not enjoy being in his company. He was just, he had the gift Right. But that's all he had. Um, he didn't have a lot of analytical talent. He was not a strategic thinker. Um, he was, 
he was a big personality. And, and I'm sure in, in terms of booking and dealing with talent management and dealing with talent lawyers and, you know, dealing with a lot of the people that you would normally come into contact, I would imagine, you know, in a, in the role as a director of booking or the president of, of an arena, you're going to have to deal with a lot of agents and attorneys and business managers and talent and, and deal with those personalities. And Bob was great at that. But when it came to managing revenue and, and, and building a, a financial plan for a live event tour, the bottom fell out of, of Bob Dew. And I like Bob and I, I'm friends with his daughter, Lori Dew. Um, so this is not a personal thing, but Bob just didn't have it when it came to operational, a broader, you know, broader than, you know, he had a lot of skill when it came to operating a venue. He wasn't able to extend that skill set into operating a wrestling company. So he made a lot of choices and decisions that were, in my opinion, early on, not good decisions. Infamously, you know, we talk about this all the time. I won't beat it to death here. I'll just reference it. You know, my conversation, number of them, with both Bob Dew and a guy that worked for Bob by the name of Don Sandifer, <clears throat> two peas in a pot. Um, their idea of improving the live event revenue stream for WCW when it was losing money every time it went out the door was to increase the number of tours that they did. Somehow that mathematically was a magical formula whereby you could, you know, if you were losing the money every time you left home, the way to fix that is to leave home more often. Right. You know, and that got to be a real source of contention between Bob and I that eventually, you know, resulted in Bob no longer being associated with WCW. Have a hard time taking pills? You're not alone. Get the only Saldinafil and Tadalafil chewables by visiting BlueChew.com. If you like sex, you'll love BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom. At BlueChew.com, you can get the first chewables with the active ingredients Sildenafil and Tadalafil. Those are the same active ingredients as in Viagra and Cialis. A BlueChew.com affiliated physician will work with you to find the right dosage and active ingredient that's best for you. The chewables from Blue Chew can be taken on a full or an empty stomach. Online physician consults are free at BlueChew.com, so it's cheaper than those other two, Viagra and Cialis. It only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician, and if you qualify, you get prescribed online quickly. There's no in-person doctor visit. There's no awkward conversation. There's no waiting in line at a pharmacy. It ships directly to your door in discreet packaging. The chewables from BlueChew.com are made in the USA. You and your partner will love it, so chew it and do it. And here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order for free when you use the promo code 83weeks. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and the promo code is 83weeks. Let's talk about uh, current day WCW here. There's lots of moving parts uh, we're going to talk about that when we do the watch along, but just to give everyone the context of where we are, we're 13 days away, uh, from uncensored 97, which we've recently covered in our archives at 83 weeks.com. Uh, this is a big deal because this is around the same time. I guess it's one week after this, you announced Dennis Rodman is coming in and you've talked a little bit about how that deal was put together before. But you've also told me a kind of a funny story and it even makes the news here 
WCW got some mainstream publicity over the next few days, although not nearly as much as they pretended to on the nitro show. Most newspapers didn't carry the story. And aside from the sun times, the few that did just ran a line or two in the AP sports rundown. It did get play treated as a joke on both the ABC and NBC radio network, top of the hour newscasts on the Saturday morning. Perhaps the most plays was Hogan and Rodman appearing on the Howard Stern show on March 10th with reports from the show saying that Stern pretty much blew off Hogan's attempts to plug the WCW pay-per-view to concentrate on talking to Rodman. I wanted to bring that up because I think when you tell a famous story at some of our live shows, this is the event you were trying to wake Rodman up for, right? Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) That is right. Yeah. Um, it it was Hulk and Jimmy Hart. Dennis Rodman was there. Dwight Manley, who was Rodman's uh, manager or agent. One of the other or both at the time was there, obviously myself. So the five of us went into New York the night before, uh, and, and obviously Dennis and, well, let's just say we went out, a couple of us, myself, Hulk, and Rodman in particular, went out and uh, partied fairly hard. Um, at the time, Dennis, I'm trying to think, who was he dating? Carmen Electra. That's right. right. So she was in town. Anyway, it ended up, and Carmen was there partying as well. So we were out all night. It was like 3 or 4, 3 o'clock in the morning, I think. You know, and I finally, I had to tap out. I mean, I could not, believe it or not, I could kind of keep up with Hulk. I could not keep up with Dennis. It was just beginning to become stupid. So about three o'clock in the morning, I took off. I'm not sure if Hulk left with me or not. I don't remember <laughs> for obvious reasons. But I got back to the hotel thinking, oh, man, I got to get up like at five o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, because we had to be over at Stern's by seven. Right. So I got up early and, you know, started to try to sober up as best I could and uh, get myself presentable. <clears throat> and you know, I wake up Jimmy. It's okay. You got to get Hulk moving. And, you know, getting Hulk Hogan ready for anything is like pushing a freight train uphill. He's just a slow moving guy, especially that early in the morning. So I got Jimmy to work on Hulk and I'm getting my shit together. And I go over to Dwight. We each had a suite and, and they were adjoining suites and, you know, we're all together basically, but I, you know, get Jimmy and Hulk moving. I, I got Dwight Manley up and running. So finally everybody meets in my suite. We're waiting on Dennis. Evidently Rodman, or excuse me, Dwight went over and knocked on Dennis's door and heard Dennis mumble something and assumed he was getting ready and he wasn't. <clears throat> so we're waiting around, waiting around, waiting for Dennis, waiting for Dennis, call Dennis's room, nothing, call Dennis's room, nothing. Dwight goes back, knocks on the door, nothing. Finally, it's getting, now we're getting a little nervous about it. So I finally, I go knock on the door and Dwight says, here, take a key to his room. Now he has a big suite. It's like a two bedroom suite. So it's a small apartment is what it really was um, at the Waldorf Astoria. So I take the key to Dennis's room. I'm pounding. I hear nothing. I'm pounding. I hear nothing. Finally, I go in. I could hear motion back in one of the bedrooms. So I think, okay, maybe he's up getting ready. So I knock on the door, Dennis. Dennis, let's go. Run late. I hear something mumble again. Hear him mumble again. So finally, I I open the door and Dennis is just pounding Carmen Electra. And I'm going, whoa. So now I'm and for those of you who are, have the benefit of watching this podcast on AntFreeShows.com, I'm 
kind of crack the door open. It's kind of like, Dennis, as I push the door open wider, <laughs> Dennis, it's time to go now, Dennis. Dennis, we better get. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got uh, I got an eyeful, so to speak, of uh, getting Dennis. But we got there probably two minutes late. But we got there. The studio, I mean, if you would have lit a match in that studio, it would have gone up in flames. It was brutal. But, you know, we got it done. A lot of alcohol. A lot of alcohol. Oh, my God. Let's, let's, uh, let's briefly mention before we click play here today. The following week, you're going to do the spring break episode from uh, Club La Vila in Panama City. Who had more fun there? You, the boys, the fans, it seems like everybody involved was having a blast with those shows. You know, I, I had, it was fun because it was a different vet, you know, I mean, you're outside, you know, you're, yeah. you're on a beach you're was surrounded by a bunch of, you know, college kids who were probably been drinking since noon. So the, the festive atmosphere was, was at all time highs. Uh, so that part of it was fun, but you know, a production like that is really stressful because just the, the number of things that could go wrong and just the physical, you know, the, the, the setup, you know, um, it's a lot harder to produce things outdoors than it is to produce things indoors. There's just more variables, more things you have to work around and more people you have to work around and it's challenging, but I, I would say the boys probably had more fun. There, there was a fair amount of um, intermingling going on after the show. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a hoot. Do you remember anybody giving you any trouble? Maybe to somebody getting the party started a little too soon with a combination no, of day drinking no, no, or whatever? nothing that stands out. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it happened because you look, they were selling beer at eight o'clock in the morning. You right. Know? So it's, you're on, it's spring break. It's yeah. kind of hard to avoid, you know, alcohol or any number of other things that were available to everybody. But uh, I, you know, nothing stood out, you know, nobody was out of hand as a result of it that I can remember. Well, without further ado, let's start this uh, rather interesting show. There's a lot to unpack and uh, you're all tuned in here to see the Roddy Piper segment. And we're going to talk about it, Uh, but man, I just love nitro from 1997, Eric, I've got it pulled up on my end as a reminder at home. What you want to do is click on in ring, scroll down until you see WCW Scoot over until you see Nitro, select 1997 from your drop-down list, and we're on March 3rd, 1997. The show says it has a runtime of an hour and 40 minutes, so this is the two-hour era. Thank goodness. And I'm at triple zeros. I've got it on mute. Or Actually, I'm going to track it so you can hear it here. Uh, But at home, you should probably go ahead and throw it on mute. Eric, give me a countdown, and when you say play, we'll press play. Three, two, one. Hit it play. And there we go. We've got the open of the show. Classic stuff here. Come to your on TNT. Welcome to WCW Monday Nitro. The superstars of world championship wrestling tonight. Live from the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, a capacity crowd on hand for what is without a doubt the hottest ticket. And we see the stretch limo in the back and, uh, it's been wrapped for Monday nitro. And it says the rules have changed. And first out Hulk Hogan with the big gold followed by miss Elizabeth, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, the band's all here. 
this is uh classic NWO stuff here in early 97. Is this probably like late 96, early 97, the peak of the NWO, at least from your perspective? I think it probably was, you know, possibly not quite financially, but in terms of everybody being on the same page, probably the energy and the momentum um, that you could feel inside of the company as well as outside of the company. I mean, we were becoming, Nitro was becoming a legitimate pop American pop culture kind of thing, you know, obviously before Twitter and so forth, but I would imagine we would have owned hashtag Monday nights um, had that uh, been available to us. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, if it wasn't the peak, it was so damn close to it. It might as well have been. So we see the stretch Hummer H one that's been wrapped in WCW pull up front, all the NWO guys pile out, but right behind that stretch H one Hummer is a limousine and out hops, uh, Dr. Harvey Schiller. And they're even introducing him saying, wait a minute. That's the president of Turner sports. He's way higher than Bischoff just to plant the seed. Of course, this is where famously you're going to get fired on this very episode and the rumor in innuendo, and it was even reported in a couple of different mainstream news outlets was that Ted Turner was supposed to be on this show, but of course, Ted doesn't show and. Well, they have Harvey fill in. What do you remember about this angle and what it was supposed to be? Had Ted been able to attend? The reporting was incorrect. Ted was never supposed to be a part of the show. He was, Ted would not, you know, Ted would have showed up for a show. Ted would have been happy to sit at ringside, for example, but Ted, uh, had no interest in participating on camera in a scene. You know, other than just being Ted Turner, the guy that owns Ted or Turner Broadcasting, um, Ted wasn't involved in being in, in, in any kind of a storyline. Not that he didn't love wrestling. It's just that as kind of Ted Turner, um, the head of one of the largest media companies in the world, he didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. Meltzer right. The Omni show was also to be the night where Ted Turner fired Eric Bischoff from his post at WCW in an angle. As it turned out, Turner decided having nothing to do with the story, getting out of the New York daily news that he didn't want to be a part of a wrestling angle after all, and sent Dr. Harvey Schiller, who runs TBS sports in his place. Schiller did a better job than you'd expect. Given he was an outsider doing an angle. The problem was at the end of the show, Bischoff and Hogan were no longer even selling the angle from the first hour. And they were apparently, apparently trying to set up subsequent angles themselves involving Turner for a later date. So I see why they say that you you're going to come out. You're going to be fired in hour one and in hour two, you show back up and you're holding Hogan's mic and you say, uh, Hey, we're not worried about that because we got a better relationship with Ted than you do. So I see why Meltzer would, would make that leap of faith, but you're saying there was never an intention. I mean, were you ever angling to get him involved at all? No, 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 no. The idea of, and it's so funny, you know, hearing these reports, you know, come back and these are just people making things. They're taking little dots that they see floating around space and they try to connect them and they draw a picture of something and they report it as this is what was really going on. It wasn't true at all. There was never, ever any conversation with Ted or even internally about, Hey, maybe could you think possibly Harvey, do you mind if we go to Ted and ask him that was never on the table? This is just somebody writing about something after the fact that made it sound like they had inside information that didn't even exist. 
Meltzer would write Ted Turner wasn't at the March 3rd nitro in Atlanta because one, his office assistant died and he was attending her funeral Two, He was out of town on business and canceled at the last minute or three. He didn't want to do it and sent Harvey Schiller in his place. They're keeping the possibilities of doing something with Turner alive in the storyline. So he's hanging on to it. By the way, we're watching a match right now where we've got Jeff Jarrett, who's trying to prove that he's horseman material tagging with Mongo McMichael. And they're taking on Conan and Hugh Morris. A moment ago, Hugh Morris got to mock Jeff Jarrett's strut, and that was pretty hilarious. But I do want you, as you're watching this, to pay special attention because Meltzer would write that, well, there was an errant blow in here. He says, show opened with Conan and Hugh Morris over Jeff Jarrett and Steve McMichael. When Public Enemy came out and tried to steal the briefcase from Deborah, Jarrett jumped out of the ring to save her and got the briefcase. But in the backswing, pulling it away, he clocked McMichael hard in the head, busting him open hard way. And Conan pinned him in three minutes and 13 seconds. McMichael can take a shot. And of course, after the bout, we're going to see Ric Flair and Arn Anderson here, and we'll track some of that. Uh, but it's, uh, I watched this a little before we recorded today and man, there's a moment here where the crowd is really in to Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, it's a shame that he's going to get busted open hard way here, but it is kind of interesting to hear. Oh, look, here comes the hot tag to Mongo now. But dude, watch the crowd as he starts beating dudes up here. They're really into it. I think history has been sort of unkind to Mongo because listen, he wasn't a classically trained wrestler and he was clumsy in spots, but he was a real dude and fans knew that. And that's sometimes enough, is it not? Yeah. I mean, look, you look at Steve McMichael, you know, Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears. Steve McMichael in his day on the Bears was one of the baddest asses in the NFL. Um, and he had a reputation as such, and he was a larger than life character. He, what he lacked in, you know, not only was he not classically trained, he wasn't trained at all. You know, everything he knew he picked up either by looking at it or, you know, working with somebody 45 minutes before the show, learning how to do it. You know, I mean, literally he had no real wrestling skills at all. Um, which doesn't make me feel proud, by the way, that I put him in so, so many high-profile matches. But what he lacked in skill set, he, at least early on, made up for as a character, a larger-than-life character with a hell of a reputation. Um, sometimes you can work around lack of technical skill, <clears throat> Bill Goldberg, if you've got <laughs> a larger-than-life character, Bill Goldberg. Um and, you know, it, it, it worked with Steve for a while, but, you know, the mistake that I made. God damn, he nailed him with that briefcase. Woof. Was yeah. overexposing him. Sorry. Man, he's, he so long. he's blooding him. He's bleeding immediately hard way. I don't guess I noticed it the first time I watched back through, but they showed multiple replays. Good Lord. He nailed him. And we're going to hear some words here from Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Uh, but Hugh Morris and Conan pick up the victory. Uh, mean jeans here and he's got Ric Flair and Arn and uh, there's problems with the horseman. Let's track it. Jared, uh, maybe there's some kind listen, of explanation. Listen, we can have what happened. No, no, you talk to me because I'm talking to you. I thought we left this kind of garbage on the West Coast last week. No, no, no. You're not that clumsy. No. You want to explain this one? Yeah, yeah, I got some words to say. Listen, Anderson, don't come out here and start instigating. Because last week, I proved that I was a horseman. I proved that I was horseman material. The only reason I was outside the ring was to protect Deborah. Now, Rick, Rick, Rick knows as no, good no, as anybody. No, no, Rick. You know good nah. as anybody. You know as good as anybody. <laughs> you stood by.
behind me from day one. You said I was a man. No, no, that was purely an accident, and you know it. Well, you know what? You're making the nature boy look bad, pal. There's got to be some... We gave you a chair. Sit in it. Quit falling off it. There's got to be some semblance of order. What was that? I thought this was settled. I thought this had better been an accident. That's exactly what it was, Gene. Arn, that's exactly what it was. It was an accident. Enough of this. I mean... Sure, I got my way. I wanted Jeff, Jared, and four horsemen. Wow. But I tell you, you know, Rick, tonight it was a mistake. And Arn, it was a mistake tonight. And even Steve, he knows what happened tonight was a mistake. But I tell you, I think we're all just trying too hard. So we've got to pull together because in two weeks, you and Steve have the public enemy. Exactly. And I am not going to be on a losing team. Well, I ain't either. Gene, I can promise you, at Uncensored, not only am I going to prove the public enemy that they're down here and the horsemen up here, but I'm going to prove to you two guys that the four horsemen are way up here and they're going to stay up here with Jeff Jarrett, a member. All right, I thank you very much. So they're trying to show the... Uh... All right, man, I don't know what to say here. The biggest takeaway for me in that was... How much heat did Deborah McMichael have with that crowd? They just put the microphone in front of her immediate booze. I was going to say, man, I, I, half of every roster in any, any country in, in the world would love to have half the heat that Deborah McMichael had. She, they hated her. It's she a beautiful just, thing. And I kind of get it. Cause she, you know, she played that, you know, Texas Bell thing, yeah. you know, about as well as it could be played and she was obnoxious about it. Um, it worked, man. It just, it worked again. Had she not been so like, even that promo, if that promo would have been half as much dialogue as it was, it would have worked really, really well. Yes. It's just, you know, two pounds of stuff in a one pound bag and it eh, started losing me a little bit, but had she been managed a little bit better. And that was on me, by the way, had I managed her and you know, the way she's was presented a little bit better and cut down on that dialogue, she would have probably held her heat a lot longer than she did. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at a screen, maybe now more than ever. And whether you're an avid news watcher or you need a serious distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I'm itching for, putting on my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something great. Whether you're catching up on your favorite news podcast, binging an audiobook, or powering through your workout with a pumped up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. And this has certainly been the case at my house. I've talked a lot here about my wife has rededicated herself to fitness. The Raycons are in the gym, jamming every day. There's no dangling wires. There's no stems to get in your way. Oh, and by the way, Raycons actually look cool. They come in a huge range of stylish colorways, but they're always comfortable in your ear for a more discreet look. And Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat resistant construction. And oh yeah, Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. How about enough battery life to last six hours of playtime? You can unplug for a while. Maybe the best part? Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. And here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's it. 
and you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. What a nice little thing here. We just saw DDP come out. Let's remind everybody he's a made man. Now for the last month, they had that big show in, uh, in the Superdome where he got to give the stuff, give the uh, diamond cutter to the outsiders and refuse their, uh, invite to join the NWO. And this is going to be the year where he really breaks out. He's going to have a feud later this year with the macho man. His wife, by the way, has just appeared in the new playboy. That's going to become a pin, a centerpiece of an angle, uh, with Randy Savage, but he's still kind of a tweener. Like he came out to the ring and he's acting like he's going to high five the fans, but instead he does the old self high five, but he saw a group of guys in the second and third row, all wearing NWO shirts. He points the camera to them. The camera gets a great shot. They rip off the NWO shirts to reveal DDP shirts below. So clearly a nice little spot he had planned with some friends of the show or friends of the company or friends of his, but this, this era of DDP is where he really gets it. And it clicks. Would you agree? Yeah. And it's fun to watch too. I mean, you could literally, if you kind of decide to do a, a, a little bit of a retrospective on diamond Dallas pages career and just, you, you can even just turn down the volume and watch him you know, his ring work, watch the way he carried himself in promos with or without the audio on. You just literally see this character, which was one distinct, albeit knockoff, it was like a kaleidoscope of knockoffs. But you just see this one character just transform into really a, a, a blue-collar American hero. Um, that's who he related to. And that's really who Diamond Dallas Page was still is at heart as a human being. Um, he is, he's a hardworking middle, middle American guy that happened to be very, very successful. But when he tapped into who he really was and lost all the silliness, God, he got over, he got more comfortable. He wasn't trying to be somebody else. He was, he was being himself with the volume turned up. And that's almost always the key to success in a wrestling character is not so much how well of an actor you can become or how big of a character you can develop, but how you can feel so comfortable in that character that it becomes an extension of yourself and therefore becomes such so much more believable. Dude, that diamond cutter is the most over move in wrestling. You're just waiting to see how he's going to apply it to this guy. Of course, Rick Fuller is this guy this week. And bam, diamond cutter out of nowhere. The crowd was ready for it. They all pop and react in a big way. That move is sort of the modern day equivalent of Jake, the snake and his DDT. And how ironic is it that Jake was one of his mentors? Well, it's not only ironic. There's, there's a definite connection there. You know, Jake was instrumental in helping, uh, DDT develop that diamond cutter and, you know, giving him permission, so to speak, you know, inside wrestling culture to go ahead and, and use that and make it his own. So it wasn't just a coincidence. It was, it was by design. It's pretty remarkable to see how over he was here. And this is literally what five weeks after the Superdome show, but the fans are already with it. The move is made. Uh, and now it's just a matter of, of building him from here and what a year he's going to have. Uh, next up, we're going to have, uh, some great wrestling coming your way. Uh, Hooventude's in action. We've also got Dean Malenko, 
Uh, Eddie Guerrero is going to be here, but first we've got a promo with DDP and mean Gene. Let's track it here. Anything. I want to take you back and you can look right here at what happened last week on this very television program. All of us thinking the macho man, Randy Savage. Well, we didn't know exactly where he was coming from, but we found out in a big hurry. Well, it's obvious, Macho. I can't even call him Macho. Savage snap. Up from behind and nailing you, you are down on the canvas, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're big men. Hall, Nash, Savage, all members of the NWO. But take a look at this. This is unbelievable. They actually pay- Eric, we're seeing uh, Savage spray paint NWO on the back of uh, DDP. Do you remember anybody having an issue with getting spray painted? Um, no, no. I mean, NWO was so hot at that time that even if someone did have an issue, they wouldn't have voiced it very loudly. I mean, everybody knew that, look, this is the gravy train. We got to hook our, we got to hook our ride to it, man. This is, this is the, the direction that the business is going. And so if, if anybody had an issue with it, um, they certainly wouldn't have expressed it to me, maybe in, in the locker room, somebody might've mumbled something or, or another, but nothing that ever came to my attention. Let's track it. Of a savage snap in to this. What well, has been a little uh, bit of a loose cannon to be around. You can just feel the energy, I guess, coming from the body of Diamond Dallas Page. Randy Savage, I've got a feeling that sooner or later, you are going to pay for your sins. It's fun tonight, bro. God dang, how good was Mean Gene, man? He was, he, he was just the best. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you know, usually announcers are really, they're like traffic cops. They yeah. have a very specific purpose. They kind of glue the show together and keep things moving in the right direction and fill in little blanks along the way. I mean, it's a very important job. Don't, don't allow me to make it sound like I'm minimizing it because I'm not very few people would tune into a show because of an announcer. Right. Gene might've been that exception. Gene had his own fan base. Gene could make what would otherwise be a fairly boring and mundane piece of business pretty entertaining and fun to watch and listen to. Well, these luchadors are going to be fun to watch. I love Juventud Guerrero. I think he's one of the more unsung heroes of nitro. He's going to be uh, taking on and defeating Ray Mendoza jr. Who's actually Viano number four. And they get a little bit of time, five minutes and six seconds, but Juventud man, one of the more gifted performers, you know, I, I think if, if there wasn't a Ray Mysterio jr, we'd probably be talking about Hoovy in a different way. Would you agree with that? We would, and it's unfortunate that who you know he was, he, he, he couldn't get out of his own way outside of the ring. Meaning he he just he couldn't keep himself out of trouble. He was always in the middle of some kind of shenanigans. When we get to get a t-shirt, Conrad, shenanigans. Come on, man. Listen, if I if we make the t-shirt, will you quit saying it? Nope. <laughs> I love it. If you make the t-shirt, I'll wear it while I'm saying it. <laughs> but who just, he couldn't keep himself out of trouble, man. Right. He was like a, he was like a 16 year old kid and he was going to crash every party, you know, steal every hubcap, you know, whatever he could get away with. He was going to try to get away with it. Um, had that not been the case, had he been a little bit more mature, 
uh, professional. I think Huberto Guerrero would have probably gone on to be a name that would be, as you pointed out, maybe not Ray Mysterio, but you probably say both names in the same sentence. I briefly mentioned a minute ago that Kimberly was going to be posing, uh, in playboy when that pictorial comes out, is there a bunch of heat from the boys in the back? I mean, are guys, I mean, listen, guy, the, the guys can be, um, well, you know how rumors are in wrestling, telephone, telegram, tell a wrestler, and it almost becomes school kid. Like when they get to see one of their guys who has a little bit of heat for whatever reason, and, oh, he's Bischoff's boy or whatever. And now we get to see his wife naked on every newsstand. It feels like somebody would have been given somebody a little bit of shit backstage. Would you disagree? Uh, there was a lot of that going around and there was a lot of, uh, because DDP was a friend of mine and everybody knew it. There were, and I happen to know who started the rumor and I'm not going to mention this individual's name because it doesn't really matter anymore. But one individual decided to spread the rumor that there was some kind of a dalliance open, open relationship, if you will, between, you know, myself and Mrs. B and Diamond Ellis page and Kimberly and nothing by the way, could be further from the truth. Um, in real life, by in 1996 and 1997, let's just set aside the fact that I would have never participated in that for a whole lot of reasons. But one of those whole lot of reasons is the fact that Kimberly and I didn't get along at all. There were it, there were more than one occasions in socially, um, if I was over to Paige's house and we were just having beers and Kimberly happened to be there it would get so uncomfortable that I would have to leave. Wow. We just, we just didn't get along. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, but whenever we were together uh, socially, it was a very, um, it wasn't awkward, but it was uncomfortable. Yeah. She didn't like being around me and I didn't particularly like being around her. Um, now that personalities changed. clashing. The, yeah, there was just, a, I don't know what it was, but it was just not good, whatever it was. Now, it that changed, you know, as time went on, you know, it was a lot easier for us to be around each other. But I, like I said, I know who spread that rumor and, and I guess the more, the wiser, more enlightened version of myself understands why, um, whatever. But yeah, and I think, you know, Paige, and, and Paige did have a lot of heat, but the, you know what Paige also had by this time? He also had a lot of respect. Yes, he did. A lot of the same people that, oh, the only reason he's got this gig is because he's Bischoff's neighbor, he's Bischoff's buddy. The only reason he gets this is because of Bischoff. There was a lot of that, and I can understand that too, because if you didn't know me really well, you didn't know Paige really well, from a distance, the optics would make it look like here's two guys who are buddies, you know, Paige actually helped him get his job at WCW. Now Bischoff's returning the favor and giving him all these opportunities. What they didn't know is that Paige was working his ass off in his own time to try to create those opportunities. And what they also didn't realize is, I, you know, Paige will tell you this if you ever sit down and talk to him. I was tougher on Paige than I was on anybody else on the roster because he was my friend. Yeah. Just like I would be on with my own son or my own daughter. Um, because I, I, I knew back then with Paige, with respect to Paige, that he had to overcome 
his relationship with me. It wasn't an asset. It was a liability for Paige. And he had to work twice as hard to get it. But if you don't know that, if you're just out taking pot shots from the sidelines because you only come in to do TV once a week and you're not around, you know, I understand why people would say that. But by 1997, Paige had overcome a lot of that and actually had a fair amount of respect from almost all the boys. We see the replay there. Hooventude picks up the win. Uh, we're back here on the set. And I think we're going to see something a little different here. We've got Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. Uh, and, and there he is. Let's track it here. Jimmy Hart is here with Kevin Sullivan. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. You know, at Super Brawl in San Francisco, California, I made a prediction. I said, when we get to Atlanta, Georgia, home of the WCW, Chris Benoit wouldn't be here. Woman wouldn't be here. But you can take it to the bank because nothing was going to stop the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and Jacqueline for being here. You know what? I am so happy to be here in the Omni. This is my house. Now, the reason why Nancy and Chris is not here tonight because we left them laying in the cow palace. See, I can be anybody, man, woman, it doesn't matter. But at the pay-per-view... I want to show my man that I can be any man. Hogan, Luger, Savage, bring it on, because I got it going on. But the only one man I can't beat, and that's Calvin. Benoit, I used to think there was a lot of you and me until they carted us away in the ambulance, and Jackie jumped up out of the ambulance, ripped open your door, put the boots to you and Nancy. Benoit, you'll never be the man I once was, and you'll never be the man I am today. Do you know why, Jack? Turn around, Jimmy, because we too legit to quit. So, boy, that was a terrible segment. And in uh, <laughs> closing it, having Jimmy turn around and show his airbrush jacket. Oh, wait, an NWO commercial. By the New World Order. Hey, six, man, you're looking like a million bucks. You know it, man. Style it, man, in black denim. Hey, it's personally embroidered by the NWO. I dig that the most. It's a NWO denim jacket. Just a heap bucks. Just call 1-800-NWO-0242. Hey, you can be styling, too. Got it? Get it. Boy. announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Shout out to Neil Pruitt for the badass voiceover. Oh, and Hank Aaron sitting front row. Talk about Atlanta royalty. Yeah, Hank would. Uh, Hank was a big supporter. Hank Hank loved wrestling. Showed up in on a number of a number of occasions. Man, we just talked about Ted DiBiase the other day. He just did not fit the NWO, did he? No, and remember the other day when we talked about Ted, I took total responsibility for miscasting him. Sure putting him into a role that just didn't fit. And you could hear it in that promo. Yeah. I mean, listening to Ted DiBiase say that he dig it the most, which was something that, you know, that coming Scott out of Hall. Scott Hall, yeah. coming out of X-Pac, coming out of Kevin Nash, that would have worked. Coming out of Hulk Hogan, nah, that would have worked so much. But, you know, X-Pac, Paul Nash in particular, it worked. But coming out of Ted DiBiase, <clears throat> square peg round hole. Sorry. I found it interesting too. the little disclaimer at the bottom. 
Hey, it ain't going to get there for two to three weeks. I just love that. It was just so plain <laughs> speak. And, uh, yeah, went to your orders. If you wanted to mail your order in, which was a thing people did back then and went to Rhode Island, boy, that didn't compute for an Atlanta company, but I guess they had their reasons. Maybe there's some legal reason it was in Rhode Island. Nah, we probably used a fulfillment center that was, you know, set up better than we were set up internally in, in WCW. Dean Malenko has turned a new leaf. He is stomping to the ring and he's going to stomp a hole in Mike Enos here. Let's briefly talk about where we are. I mean, we've mentioned that we're on our way to the next pay-per-view, which is uncensored. Um, the very next day you guys are going to do a TV taping and it's in Rome, Georgia. You draw 2,500 fans there. It's a $19,000 gate. Meltzer would write Randy Anderson, who along with Arn Anderson are both from Rome, Georgia originally was given the key to the city. Unfortunately, the mayor called him Pee Wee Herman instead of Pee Wee Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) RIP to Pee Wee. Uh, the, the, the real news from that day though, disco inferno parentheses, Glenn Gilberti was fired on March 4th when he refused to do a program, which would have ended with him putting over Jacqueline in the single match at uncensored. The vast majority of the wrestlers were totally in support of disco on that one and felt that putting over a woman in a singles match was a career killer. We've briefly talked about this before, but we just saw Jackie lay the groundwork there. I'm ready to take on any man. I can beat any man except my Kevin. So come on Hogan or Savage. Of course it was supposed to be disco. What do you remember about him saying no and his firing here on March 4th? I mean, there was not, there's not a lot to talk about. He didn't want to do it. He drew a line in the sand that doesn't usually work with me, you know, and I fired him. It's really, there's nothing to it more to it than that. There was, there was no more drama to it than that behind the scenes. You know, I think looking back now, I don't know how, you know, I, 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 Disco's a good friend. He's a friend of the show. I love doing his show and Conan show every once in a while when they call and ask. Um, so, you know, we all have a great relationship, but I think I would hope at least Disco looks back at that and realizes that that was probably a mistake on his part. Disco didn't have a serious character. Disco was comedy relief. Disco was a heel that thought he was somebody else all of the time. That was his character. Um, so I, I didn't quite understand why, you know, Disco couldn't see the opportunity to go out there and have fun with it. It's not like anybody took Disco Inferno seriously to begin with as a performer, or I mean, as a legitimate wrestler. They took him seriously as a character. He was a great character. He's funny. He was fun to watch. And I, I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand why a comedic character couldn't see the fun to be had in the business to be made uh, by going out there and having a match with with Jacqueline. It's just, it's just incomprehensible to me. If I had a secret where you could pay off your credit cards, you could pay off your car, you could even retire 13 years earlier. It's not a secret, baby. It's savewithconrad.com. Come on. Ask Toby in Edmond, Oklahoma. He left us a five-star review and wrote, Conrad's team was able to do everything I hoped for to help me reduce my mortgage term by 13 years. Think about that, folks. 13 years. Now there's 12 house payments, of course, in a year. Duh. And if you're doing 13 years, that's 156 payments. You know what your mortgage payment is. Multiply it in your calculator by 156. That's how much old Toby saved. Not only that, he wrote, 
They paid off my car, my credit cards, and dropped my interest rate significantly. So let's recap. If you could go ahead and pay your house off 13 years faster, and oh, by the way, pay your car off with a greater tax deduction and a cheaper interest rate, and get rid of your credit cards and their high interest rates and get a greater tax deduction there, and also reduce your overall interest rate, how do you lose? You don't. This is a win-win-win situation, and that's what we believe in at SaveWithConrad.com. And oh, by the way, if you have a car loan, if you have credit card debt, not only is the interest rate higher than what you'd be paying if you went to SaveWithConrad.com, it's not tax deductible. You get to write off your mortgage interest. You don't get to write off that interest on your car. You can't write off interest on your credit cards, but you can on your mortgage. So why wouldn't you get a better rate on your mortgage? Cut the years down, get rid of the car payment, get rid of the credit cards, retire faster by retiring your debt faster. We can run the numbers for you and your family right now at First Family. Just go to SaveWithConrad.com. That's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And did I mention no house payments for two months? It's SaveWithConrad.com. Of course, we're talking about how hot the NWO is here. And we just briefly saw their uh, promo for the denim jacket. Meltzer would report around this time, though, the NWO hotline that you guys tried bombed in its entire first month. It did about the same business as the WCW hotline does on a normal strong day. And you're going to try this a few different ways to so just slap NWO on it and see if it works. And some people would take issue with that, but I, I say that's just smart business, right? I mean, if they have an appetite for NWO, let's give them some NWO. I agree. Um, you know, just because they reported that it didn't do great business doesn't mean that that was true. Fair enough. I won't say it's not true. I don't have any evidence or recall to, to contradict it, but look, it was a revenue stream, you know, would we have expected it to be bigger and hotter than WCW. Yeah. I kind of sort of think so because that was the case with licensing and merchandising and everything else we were doing at that point. If, if it wasn't, perhaps it was a case. And again, I, I wasn't in charge of the hotline, so I, I don't know. Didn't have firsthand, you know, with it at all, but my guess is it probably wasn't programmed so that it was an NWO themed hotline. It could have been fairly generic and therefore not really represent the expectations that the audience had of a branded WCW hotline. There could have been any number of reasons for it. But um, again, I don't know. I'd have to go back and ask somebody that was involved in it. You briefly did run commercials for the NWO hotline. Um, There's some that you can even find on YouTube that started playing, or at least I know they were around in late January. Uh, let's talk about this particular show from a live standpoint. We're covering it specifically today for a few reasons, but one of which, at least from my standpoint, the biggest WCW show ever at the Omni, you'd have to go back to like Starcade, uh, the last time they did this kind of business here in Atlanta. And we know that you're going to just blow that away when y'all start running the Georgia dome, but there's an actual sellout here, 13,693 fans. 10,353 of those paid a gate of $137,211. But Meltzer would say because of the Turner organization being based in Atlanta and employees, friends, and relatives of employees and other groups, all traditionally getting comps, WCW was basically required to comp tons of tickets to the event. Even though it was clear from the first day tickets went on sale, they wouldn't need to comp it at all in order to pack the building. 
There have been shows during the heyday of Jim Crockett's organization in the mid eighties, including the aforementioned starcades that put more people in the building, but that was with a 17,000 seat setup. WCW once put 15,000 in the building, although that show had kids for free. So the paid was closer to 10,000 for flair funk in 89. So this is a home run, but I wanted you to speak on how important it was for the employees, the staff, the Turner organization, the other tentacles within the brand to be able to come see a WCW show. And did that change the mood backstage or your approach to television? Or was it just business as usual? No, it was business as, as usual, but you know, I know for someone who's never been in the wrestling business or for fans who are watching from the outside might not quite understand why at certain points in times you do have to, you know, comp you, when you have to comp because you have to put warm bodies with a pulse in a seat, that's a bad situation. Yeah. But sometimes you choose to comp because in a long term plan in, in a bigger scheme of things, it might be more beneficial than yeah. the price of a ticket. Yeah. You know, you're in a city with Coca-Cola as a potential sponsor. There were a lot of Coca-Cola employees and management that were in attendance, by the way. Oh, and shortly thereafter, or around that same time, lo and behold, uh, Coca-Cola launched a new brand called Surge, which was a, a, a short-lived drink that WCW promoted in a couple of different ways, as well as running commercials on the show. So yeah, it was kind of like Sturgis in a way. Sometimes it makes sense to give tickets away and sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, it certainly did. And again, because we were in Atlanta and WCW was a part of Turner Broadcasting and WCW for the first time in its existence became a hot property that everybody wanted to be a part of from a public relations or an in, not even public from an internal corporate relations perspective, inviting, you know, friends and family of management and employees of Turner to come and be a part of something that was popular all over the United States. There were advantages to that. So yeah, we did it. And, you know, it, it didn't make sense at the time internally, even if it didn't make sense to people outside of the company. Main Gene here interviewing Eric Bischoff. It's happening right now, especially in light of what's happened over the past seven days. Well, first of all, let me say thank you to Lex Luger. Although he's not authorized to issue any kind of a challenge on behalf of WCW, I, however, can. And I can accept I am the most powerful man in this industry. Yeah, we know that. And the NWO would love to step into the ring in uncensored and put it all up our belts against wcw's future because after all everybody here in atlanta knows everybody around the country knows that if it wasn't for eric bischoff and the nwo and the most powerful force on the year hollywood hogan scott hall kevin nash the macho man randy savage you people wouldn't be here you owe it you owe a debt of gratitude. Oh, my. And you're welcome. You, you can hear how much they love you. They and absolutely they are, are on their feet cheering for you here tonight. They absolutely are because they know. They know. They know that if it wasn't for Eric Fisher, oh. thank you very much. We got trouble. Thank you Our, very much. Someone's got trouble. We don't you're have welcome. the trouble. Each, each and every one of you are welcome from the bottom of my heart. I, excuse me. Hey, Eric. 
Dr. Schiller. Good to see you, sir. We need to talk. We need to talk. Uh, uh, what do we need to talk? Wait a minute. This is the president of Turner Sports. He's your boss. I know. This is Dr. Harvey Schiller. This cannot bode well for you. Well, the good doctor's bringing down the house. You think just because you have a contract that you have total control of World Championship Wrestling? Well, it's my understanding, according to that agreement, that I'm executive vice president and I run WCW, yes. You think just because you have a contract, you can file referees anytime you want? Well, yeah, that's a good point. There were extenuating circumstances, Mr. Schiller. Really? Dr. Schiller. Dr. Schiller, you know that. I'm doing the best that I can. You think just because you have a contract, you can break the rules of professional wrestling, that you can take titles away from people at will? What about that? What, what a, excuse me. My understanding, Harvey, <laughs> is that, yes, I can. Well, you may have a contract, but as of right now, you're suspended. Oh, no! Oh! Bischoff's got it! Bischoff's got it! It happened! What do you mean it can't happen? It has happened! Oh, really? Seriously? All kidding aside. Stop kidding! <laughs> We're not kidding. You have no more financial responsibilities. You can sign no more contracts. But, wait a minute. Let's see you backtrack on this, Bishop. I think we just need to talk a little bit more about this. Seriously. I don't even want to know that you're answering a telephone. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Uh, you're like taking credit card. I think you're taking this a little too far. With all due respect, Dr. Schiller, you may be taking this just a little too far. I don't want to even know that there was a rumor that you're in a men's room at a WCW event. I like that. I like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did I you have, just get the boot? I have attorneys. He, he got, he got Hold it, Dr. Wait a minute. Dr. Schiller, what floor is your office on? Hey, what? Atlanta, Georgia. Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> our office come down. Listen, that was a great segment, especially for a first-timer like Harvey. But my goodness, did Mean Gene do his job there or what he held that thing together he really did hold it together and of course listening to the audio you don't quite get the impact of that scene so i hope that people who are listening to this podcast you know go back and check it out on the wwe network because it really was a good scene and a part of that scene part of what led up to that in the weeks you know leading up to this particular suspension was of course me, you know, stripping titles from whoever it was I stripped the titles from, awarding them to the Steiners. Pee Wee Anderson came up and tried to get his job back. And of course, I fired him on national television, which by the way, did actually bubble up in a real way to Harvey Schiller's office. So that was what kind of that was the backstory that led up to this moment. But it really was a, a great scene and it was a big moment in WCW. It was a big moment. And uh I almost wish the rumor in innuendo was true and that that was supposed to be Ted Turner. Cause that would have been quite the visual. Would it not? God, well, are you, you kidding me? That would have been a blast, but you know, just that wasn't, it wasn't ever in the cards. We got Sonny Ono coming out here, inventing selfies with Ultimo dragon, passing out the disposable cameras to uh, kids in the crowd. And, uh, he's got a match coming up here. Ultimo does, but I do want to talk about the ratings because we're knee deep in the Monday night war overall. This is the biggest win. 
let me just read exactly what Meltzer says as Eddie Guerrero makes his way to the ring with the U S title. Overall, the ratings for three, three saw nitro win handily with its biggest edge since the head to head two hour deal started with a 3.4 rating and a 5.19 share to raw's 1.91 and 2.99 share. The replay even does a 1.5. So the replay nearly does what raw does, but the biggest gap here, when this is so crazy to me. WCW held a 4.5 to a 1.5 edge, a margin unprecedented in the history of the Monday night wars. And what did it? This terrible Roddy Piper segment. We're going to watch that was head to head with uh, Sid versus mankind for the world title. But I would have never guessed that that segment with Roddy Piper that we're going to talk about and make fun of as shitty as it may have been, it gives you your biggest margin of victory yet. People watch television to be entertained, not to watch five-star Japanese wrestling matches. And I know that's a concept that's hard for some to comprehend uh, or relate to, but it's true even to this day. And as bad as the segment was for those wrestling purists who love a good Japanese five-star match, a lot of people found this entertaining. Now, some wrestling fans found it a little distasteful, and I understand why. But when you're programming for the masses and not the minority, sometimes you run into this type of conflict. WCW would also get a 3.2 for the segment we just saw and the segment we're seeing right now with Eddie and Ultimo. So the whole Schiller Bischoff and Eddie Ultimo thing gets a 3.2. Meanwhile, the other station has Sultan, who would go on to be Rikishi, and Flash Funk, the former Too Cold Scorpio. That only gets a 2.0. So it's 3.2 to 2.0. It's ridiculous, man. Um, yeah. When you think back a three point, a 3.4, you know, you're probably averaging 1.7 people per household. You probably look at it only, you know, and we weren't even at our peak yet ratings wise, but right. you probably look at it a mere 4 million people or so watching nitro head to head against Monday night raw. Yeah. Those days sucked. The other channel, by the way, is actually a tape draw, uh, from Berlin, Germany. It's where they would crown the first ever European champion, a tremendous 23 minute, four and a half star match, uh, between Owen Hart and British bulldog. I mean, it, it really is a badass show, uh, but it's no competition for nitro here. Um, let's now talk those four and a half star matches just aren't competition for great entertainment. I love you for that. Let's talk about where business is year over year here for WCW. Your average attendance in January of 96 was 3,050 fans here. It's 5,494. We're up 80% from January of 96 to January of 97. Of course, the difference is not nitro. It's not the luchadors. It's the NWO. Well, in fairness, Conrad, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but certainly the NWO being, you know, the most significant of them, but you know, you and I have talked about this before. Great television is a combination of a lot of little details that all come together, you know, correctly. And there were a lot of things that led to this again, NWO being the biggest, there's no question about it, but you know, the introduction of the live format, you know, the introduction of a format that appealed specifically to target an 18 to 49 year old demo that now 20 some odd years later, you know, 
peripheral wrestling personalities are writing about 18 to 49 year old demos. Well, guess what? That didn't exist before me and before nitro. Well, but, but um, all of that but, existed in January of 96. I mean, you had live for no, 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 you're right. It did, but we were building on that. You know, the cruiserweight division was, you know, becoming more popular as we brought more talent into it. The, the, the entire format of the show became more polished and fine tuned in 97 than it was even in 96. So there were a lot of reasons for it. But I, I think, I'll, you know, to say, well, it was because of the NWO is not necessarily fair. I think it, the cruiserweight division, the format itself, a lot of the different things that we were doing and presenting the product in an entirely different way almost every week um, had a lot to do with it. But there's no argument that the NWO was the most significant factor. Yeah, I was just trying to express that that was the difference. And we see in ring right now, Mean Gene getting a little mic time for Eddie Guerrero. We actually heard mic time earlier from Dean Malenko. I'm pointing this out because this wasn't exactly common and notice that it's no longer for the cruiserweight title. That's the United States championship in Eddie Guerrero's hand. It feels like by this point, the guys had already decided, boy, if we get saddled, if we continue to be saddled with this cruiserweight label, our income and our careers have a glass ceiling. Was that a conscious effort by Eddie Guerrero or Dean Malenko or yourself or a combination of all three to not continue these guys to be battling it out for the cruiserweight title. It was a compromise on my behalf. I didn't, you know, I, I had a hard time. I mean, on one hand, I understood how a lot of the cruiserweights felt that they didn't want to just be cruiserweights. They wanted a shot to be in the main event. Right. And that's a natural thing for a performer who has the drive and the ambition, the same thing, the drive and the, the vision for himself or herself you know, to be the biggest star they can be, it's a natural thing. I don't think anybody gets into the entertainment business and says, you know what, I'm going to be really happy being a co-star. Even though being a a co-star, you know, for a long period of time in your career can be more financially beneficial than being a star for a short time. But nobody goes into it thinking that, you know, and I understand that. It was a source of frustration amongst certain people that were, quote unquote, cruiserweights, Eddie Guerrero being one of them, Chris Jericho being another, they didn't want to be confined to that cruiserweight division. I had a hard time understanding that because in my mind, and here's probably why in my mind, I'd be willing to pay them more money as cruiserweights. I had to be able to justify it. Right. I couldn't do it because I wanted to, I had to have at least a story that sounded plausible to back me up. And taking somebody from 150 grand one year to 225 the next year to 350 the next year and continuing to escalate those agreements throughout, you know, the the course of their employment or their relationship seemed to be the most practical way to do that. But a lot of guys didn't want to wait for that. They wanted to jump from where they were to where they wanted to be. And this, um, at least on my part, creatively, at least this was a compromise because I didn't think it was the best move. And I'll, I'll, Add a little bit more to that. As we look back now, because of this podcast, and I go back and we cover cruiserweight matches and we look at Rey Mysterio, you know, early on in WCW as a cruiserweight or um, even Eddie, you know, when he first got to WCW, he was much smaller. He was much lighter. He was more agile. He was faster. He was more dynamic to watch. You know, didn't take away from his wrestling skill or his psychology, but as these guys got bigger, Rey Mysterio, I think, is the most classic example as he started bulking up, so to speak, and putting a lot of unnatural weight on his frame, he started breaking down. 
and it started hurting his ability to do the things that he became most famous for. And I think if I just think it's my belief that had certain talent decided, you know what, I'm going to be the best cruiserweight there's ever been in the history of this industry. They would have made the money they wanted to make. They might not have made Hulk Hogan money, but not many people did or do, but they would have made a lot more money than they did had they decided to kind of shit all over the cruiserweight division because they wanted to aspire to be something else. We're seeing a recap here of Harvey Sheeler talking to Eric Bischoff just a few moments ago. Uh, and of, of course you're probably wondering why are they doing this? Well, because it's the top of the hour. So there's the quote unquote crossover. You want to catch up new fans who might be turning in, tuning in right now. I wanted to go back to the business though. Your average gate in January of 96, $37,000, your average gate here in January of 97, nearly $65,000. So revenues are up 71% at the gate. Now the WWF's business is following a similar pattern, but not nearly as high. Uh, their average, uh, number of attendance was 4,890 in January of 96. The average attendance in January of 97 is up 39% to 6843. The gate would jump as well, uh, but only about 41%. They're going from an average gate of 72,000 to now just over a hundred at one Oh one eight eighty two. But interestingly enough, the WWF's ratings are down substantially from a 1.9 to a 1.3 on cable, man, you're just winning. I mean, this is WCW. This is the heyday. This is the glory days. And it's because of guys like this VK wall street, prominent member of the NWO coming into the ring. Ouch. Conrad. Ouch. <laughs> Well-placed shot. Deservedly. So I'll take it like a man and move on. <laughs> By the way, I was a little disappointed in the time that Eddie Guerrero and Ultimo dragon got, they only get two minutes and 48 seconds. Obviously it's a good match and Eddie cheats to win, gets his, uh, legs tangles in the rope and it ropes and uses them for leverage, but we've got time. We don't have more time for that, but we do have time for VK wall street and Scotty Riggs. Uh, no, uh, disrespect to either performer, but man, knowing that we, we're not going to get to see many more Eddie matches. What could have been there? Hey, I wanted to mention this. I saw in my notes, Yuji Nagata finally debuted at the March 3rd show at the Omni in a match before the show went on the air. Naturally, he did a heel for, he did a job for Ernest Miller, a power plant guy with all of about three pro matches. That's directly from the observer. You can tell by the sarcasm, uh, Ernest Miller, we know is going to go on to be a big star here in WCW. Yuji Nagata, maybe not as much, but he did come in with a lot of fanfare because what he had done in new Japan. Do you have any Yuji Nagata memories at all? Oh, of course. In fact, I was in Tokyo a couple of years ago for Masa Saito's, uh, memorial service and Yuji Nagata was there. Yuji Nagata was there and Sonny and Yuji and I went out to, to, uh, to dinner together and actually spent an afternoon and an evening, uh, visiting and super guy, super, super guy very talented, um, amazing performer and a really a smart businessman. Let's talk a little bit about a piece of business that got some, some letters coming into the office from what I remember. Uh, it's written in the observer and I'm sure you remember the angle that people were none too happy with the Steiner's car crash angle. It's written. There were so many complaints about the Steiner's car crash angle that it won't air on television again. And they're barely even acknowledging it on television this past weekend. 
after making a big deal about it the week before, were you guys concerned that kids may try to replicate that? I wasn't, but enough other people were, and it made it to the right people at Turner Broadcasting that it's, you know, there's some hills worth fighting for, and that wasn't one of them. Right. Um, but I mean, it, it's always amazing to me, ironic, maybe, um, hypocritical probably would be more appropriate, but how in scripted television, television series, whatever it may sitcoms, you can do, you can say, you can portray, you can execute violence in all ways, shapes, forms, and manners in the name of entertainment in a scripted program. But for some reason that nobody can really understand or define using anything close to some of those same techniques that is used in other forms of entertainment on network television, by the way, in prime time are unacceptable in professional wrestling. Now, some may say, yeah, but that's because wrestling appeals to kids. Sorry, it didn't. If you would look at the WCW demos at the time, kids were almost non-existent in our audience. It was an 18 to 49-year-old show. But if we wanted to have a car crash scene or a car chase scene um, that exhibited intentional displays of aggression, For some reason in wrestling, that's inappropriate. But if you turn the channel and watch anything else on television, oh, that's okay. They're both scripted forms of entertainment. I never understood, still don't, why there's one um, standard for any other type of television and a different, unique, almost indefinable standard for professional wrestling. I don't get it. Let's talk about some good news. That's in the observer. Uh, we're on the heels of super brawl out at the uh, cow palace in San Francisco. And Meltzer would say WCW super brawl 97 from the San Francisco cow palace was yet another successful event, both from an aesthetic, as well as the financial standpoint, as is typical of WCW shows, the undercard was largely one good match after another, the main event, while not a disappointment in that who expects a Hulk Hogan match to be any good was still the worst match on the show. The big shock of the show was Randy Savage's NWO heel turn, helping Hogan beat Piper in the main event. The Hogan Piper match was another financial windfall for both the two headliners and the company. While the buy rates aren't available at press time, it likely did well, but probably not as well as their original meeting at Starcade. locally. From my perspective, this was the single most anticipated live event in this area in the past 25 years. And that includes the legendary San Francisco battle Royals of the seventies and the biggest Pat Patterson or Ray Stevens match. They sold the show out nearly two weeks in advance with 13,324 in the building, which was 12,145 folks paying $192,000. The gate is the third largest in the history of world championship wrestling. The $93,000 in merchandise is also the second largest in company history behind only the nitro in Chicago this past January. So the number of signs he's saying are the most he's ever seen. It's the most excitement. It's at all kinds of records. This is just par for course for WCW here. Is it not? I mean, you're on a roll and everywhere you go, you're setting new records. It was a magic time to be in the professional wrestling business or to be a fan. It was a magic time. And I think it was an era 
that we mean or, or the type of era, the type of magic that I don't think we're ever going to see it again. Not because there is anybody out there smart enough to do it, but because I think the the world has changed to the extent that it has. It's look the reason, even though WCW was obviously you know bludgeoning WWF in just about every way, um, especially creative. The WWF business was the all boats float with a high tide, right? In wrestling, because of the Monday Night War, it was a legitimate war. Did you ever have you ever seen the food that built America yes. on the History Channel? Some of it. Have you seen the Pizza Hut uh, Domino's episode? Yes. Fascinating episode that really parallels, in many respects, what happened during the Monday Night Wars era. Now there's some, you know, obviously there's things that are markedly different, but these are these two entities that came, started competing at, against each other at a specific, at, at a very distinct and specific period of time. And it was the competition to one up each other that literally, which, which was news to me, it was Pizza Hut that gets the credit, but it was the Pizza Hut and Domino's Pizza Wars that made pizza mainstream in America prior to pizza hut and Domino's competing against each other in 1958, in the early 1960s, nobody knew outside of New York and Chicago. And if you happen to live in an Italian neighborhood, nobody knew what pizza was, right? The guys that created pizza hut didn't even know how to make the pizza that the majority of America didn't even know what it was. But yet a couple of years later, they've got a billion dollar business. And it was because of that war, that one upsmanship, that the different tactics and strategies that both companies used to get their product out to the consumer and satisfy the consumer. That's what the Monday Night Wars did. And that's why I have a hard time, you know, when people start talking about the Wednesday Night Wars, they're not the Wednesday Night Wars. Those two shows head to head against each other does not a war make. Right. A good war is when all boats rise with a high tide, when it lifts the entire industry. And that's what we saw here. So even though the WWF was suffering in some respects, their business was improving markedly so in, in other respects because of Nitro. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the, you know, the, the gang warfare of wrestling, you know, relations. You know, meaning if you're a fan of WWF, you couldn't be a fan of WCW or fan of WCW, hated WWF. If you're a fan of AEW, you can't stand next. If you're an NXT, if you're a fan of NXT, you can't stand AEW. That's some silly horseshit, by the way, that people subscribe to. And I guess it feels fun in the moment, but man, it doesn't necessarily make a war. What makes a war is when you're competing against each other, forcing each other to improve your product. And then you're watching the audience grow in response. Therein lies a good war. The family continues to grow daily at adfreeshows.com. And the feedback we keep hearing, why didn't I do this earlier? 
ad-free shows is the place to be for all your favorite shows on video and the exclusive Red Hot Conversations with Conrad as part one with Jim Crockett continues to climb in views and downloads. Plus, all the other amazing bonus content, including the Sad News Bears. Yes, Conrad's infamous group chat has its own show and it's off the rails with characters like the Casio Kid, Dave Silva, Doodoo Trucking Zone, Jeff Jewett, the gimmick attorney Mike Dawkins, and we can't forget the breakout star on Water Dave. Huge Adidas guy. So when Ric Flair signed with Adidas, I was excited to see what they were going to come up with. So Yeah! Rick Flair. Rick Flair shoes. Rick Flair on a bitch. That's the same ones he wore in uh, '89, I think. <laughs> I love how it's got. <laughs> I love how it's got the little Rick Flair silhouette on there. It's got the RF down inside of it. It says, "I'm having a hard time keep holding these alligators down." Does the other shoe have LF on it? <laughs> <laughs> LF is for left foot for those still thinking about it. Listen, these guys talk current wrestling, past wrestling, wrestling belts, and so many other topics in an entertaining way. So become a part of the family now. Enjoy this and so many other exclusive shows and events by making the decision to sign up today to join the fastest growing wrestling community at adfreeshows.com. Well, this is uh, regrettable. We're several seconds into the Roddy Piper segment. It's going to go 20 minutes. I'm not going to track the whole thing, but let's take a listen as he's taking some shots at Hulk Hogan and how he's put him to sleep with the sleeper. But I do got to admit... Savage coming in there was a wee bit of a surprise for me. I heard right now more than a piece of roadkill. And I think to myself, I think, you know, they cloned two monkeys. One named Hall, one named Nash. Everybody's talking about like they're afraid of the NWO. I'll tell you something. I got one family lives on a mountain, Portland, Oregon. I got another family, and that's you folks. All my life you've been raising me. Where'd you go, Conrad? Last time when I was going to the hospital and they were... You don't hear him right there? Uh, I can hear him now. I said, we're no want to bite a walk. And I'll give you the translation of that. That means we're not home till the battle's over. If you notice, as Hogan walks in the building, hair is rapidly falling out what he's got left. (laughs) That's because the war is about to begin. Here we go. I am going to make a third family, but I'm not going to contrive a family. I'm not going to contrive a kin. They got six guys back there right now. I must be nuts. You know that time in Alcatraz? All I did was talk to El Capone and get bird poop put on my shoulder. 
I miss Roddy. <laughs> I'm going to take these six guys on one at a time. Oh, like tonight? Who knows? And I will let you decide who's going to be my kin, who's going to be my third family by either giving it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. You know what Icon stands for? I cower over nothing. Well, I got no more to say. Six guys. I must be an idiot, man. Well, apparently, he's. He, has he accepted the invitation? Hello, McFly. Hello, McFly. He's accepting this invitation, apparently, gentlemen, and is picking his team, and he's going to have a tryouts right here. Who knows what that man's up to? <laughs> All right, boys. Bring him on down. So this is really happening. This is a marathon segment after that long promo. Now, I guess Sprotty did a fairly poor job explaining it. He wants some teammates to take on the NWO. And they're going to send down guys. And we say, we don't know who that is, but boy, he's a big fella one after another. Oh man, this is wild. And it doesn't feel like this is something that, you know, sometimes you and I say, boy, we, uh, we wish wrestling wasn't so overproduced, maybe a little more producing on this one. (laughs) This was Roddy's idea. And in the meeting with Roddy, you know, in, in the discussion with Roddy, it sounded pretty good. On paper, it looked pretty good. In execution, I couldn't wait to leave the arena. It was bad. But, you know, it's funny, Conrad, here, here's a guy, Roddy Piper. I mean, that promo was marginal at best, especially by Roddy Piper standards. But it was a marginal at best promo. I won't even say marginal. It was a really poor promo. Um, the the concept, however interesting it may have looked on paper, was really, really bad. But it didn't define Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper's character was bigger than a mistake like this. And it didn't even nick Roddy in terms of his value to the company or what he was about to do. So, yeah, it was unfortunate. It wasn't the best television I ever produced. Um, I can kick myself in the ass all day long over it, but it was what it was. We tried something. Roddy had an idea he was passionate about. I often went or sometimes went with ideas that talent that had the experience and the success and the track record of Roddy Piper. I'd go with it, even if it didn't feel a hundred percent. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that this didn't feel right on paper to me. I probably did sign off on it fairly enthusiastically because it did make sense to me as Roddy explained it. And I looked at it on paper, but nevertheless, it was what it was. And uh, it certainly did not. We still love, love Roddy Piper more today than we did yesterday. So no big deal. The first guy that uh, Piper beat was described in the observer as being a huge bodybuilder from the power plant that Piper wasted in a matter of seconds. And the fans voted thumbs down. Uh, he was doing like a Kimura and it was like, 
not something fans were paying attention to and the worst tap ever. The second guy is an even bigger bodybuilder from the power plant. We know him as Luther Reigns from the WWE. Meltzer would say he showed 40 seconds of real potential here before getting wasted. It was another thumbs down, but that was always the plan. And this is where the problems start. After two huge bodybuilders, they followed it up with a cross between Gabe Kaplan and a leprechaun wearing boxing gloves. So what we just saw there is a third guy trying to do the run in and the fourth guy uh, knocked him over. Um, and this, this is a guy wearing boxing gloves and underwear, and it's described by, uh, Uprocks as the boxer's name is Craig Malley, a direct video action movie stuntman And I guess boxer who, according to varying reports was either Roddy's movie buddy who needed a favor or he carried his bags for him. And Roddy was famous for having sort of, boy, I hate the way this sounds, but traveling companions, manservants. Young boys, whatever, uh, in the Japanese tradition, I mean, not don't be weird on me. Uh, is this who this is? Do you remember this fellow? Yeah, yeah I do remember Craig. I do. Uh, the next person we're going to see is a barefoot person. Uh, his name is Leighton Morrison, another movie friend and stunt man that Roddy knows. And I guess the guy did some stunt work for La Femme Nikita once upon a time. So you would think Vince McMahon would have been all over that. This segment here with the boxing though, this goes forever. And it's like, you know, the guy here, Craig has like real gloves on, but I mean, they look like they're something Jack Dempsey wore. And then it looks like Piper's got a much smaller glove, almost like a training glove, more like a mitt. And they're going to go through various, like now they're just rolling around on the ground and he's got an arm hold, but just the worst worked punches ever. This is all just a giant mess. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is a disaster of a segment. Meltzer would say after some of the worst fake boxing sequences you'll ever see with Piper trying to make his buddy look good, the fans booed it roundly, but they were supposed to cheer. So Piper got the mic and said he thought the fans were being too hard on him and they went at it again. But this time the guy was totally blown up. So he had to take the gloves off because he couldn't even lift his arms. The fans booed it even worse, even though he was supposed to be cheered. Yeah. And then here comes the martial arts guy in a moment, but boy, this is just right out of the book of bad ideas. When Roddy comes back through the curtain that night, are there any words of encouragement or does everybody just know, ah, he knows it sucked. Let him go. Mm, no, everybody, but pretty much knew it sucked. And obviously nobody really wanted to, you couldn't even go, Hey, nice match. Sometimes you can look at a match. It's not really that great of a match. And you know, the guys put forth the effort, at least they tried. So you can muster up a, Hey, good match, man. And you could say it in a way that, you know, the the person you're saying to knows that, you know, that it wasn't their best work, but Hey, live to fight another day. But sometimes they stink so bad. All you want to do is leave the room. You don't want to have to try to fake it because you can't. This was one of those. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. So he did the thumbs up and the crowd's booing and uh, he's on his way out. He gets just past the ropes 
Roddy rethinks it says, no, you know what? Come back in here. Come back on in here. And he starts to put his gloves back on. Let's track it. Cause he's calling for a mic now. He's looking for a microphone here. You know what? You got a lot of gonads, kid. I think you're being a little too harsh. Let's try her one more time. Oh boy. They boo the very idea of let's do it one more time. You know, listen, we've been pretty critical, uh, even recently about warrior going out here and doing a terribly long segment the following year, gosh, probably 18 months after this, he's supposed to go a few minutes. He goes way long and we're not comparing Roddy Piper and ultimate warrior, but is this sort of Roddy's similar experience here? Cause this is going long and boy, it's dying a thousand deaths. Yeah. Roddy, uh, Roddy was a wild card. You know, there were times, you know, he certainly didn't have, uh, the track record that others have had in, in terms of going into business for themselves or going off script, but you know, Roddy was an improv guy, but let's be fair, you know, nine out of 10 times now nah, make that 49 out of 50 times, maybe even 99 out of a hundred times. Roddy going off script in the improv, improving and doing crazy Roddy Piper shit worked. Right. This is one case where it didn't. So it's not, it's not the same thing as the Ultimate Warrior experience because the Ultimate Warrior didn't have a track record of being able to go out there and improving and making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Roddy did. Roddy was great when he was just crazy Roddy Piper. But this was perhaps a little bit more than Roddy could pull off as a character. And, you know, when you're out there throwing, you know, people don't realize, and I'm sure Roddy did know or at least weighed the risks. It looks like it would be easy to go out there and put on a pair of boxing gloves and have a fake gimmick boxing match. Nothing is further from the truth. And nothing looks worse than fake boxing. It's just, it's like a bad singer. You just can't get away from it soon enough. But, uh, yeah, it was a disaster, but you know, in retrospect, I think it was a decision that I made knowing Roddy's track record and enjoying sometimes allowing talent to go ahead and try to do something different than what you might normally do. And certainly in Roddy's case, he had a track record of being successful doing that. So yeah, it was what it was. This segment though, I want to ask, because we know eventually there's going to be an audible called, I don't know that that everybody remembers that show. Uh, we did cover it in long form, uh, in the archives, but it wound up being team NWO with Hogan, Savage, Hall, and Nash, along with Dennis Rodman defeating team Piper, which is Roddy Piper, Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, and Jeff Jarrett. And also team WCW, which is Lex Luger, the giant and Scott Steiner. So the WCW team only has three members. The Piper team has four members, but none of these guys, and they're taking on the biggest stars in the company, Hogan, Savage, Nash, and Hall. The, the, <laughs> the freestyle in the observer was, we believe the plan will be that flair and Arn Anderson will go to Piper and convince him to give Chris Benoit, Jeff Jarrett, and Steve McMichael a shot to bail him out here of his partnership with these guys. And we know that they're going to do something similar to that. But was the, I mean, was the hope that, man, this will work. Piper will get these guys over and then Piper will have a team of these new stars we've just made on, on a 13 day notice. 
and they'll be in the main event of a pay-per-view against Hogan, Savage, Hall, and Nash. That seems far-fetched. That was not it at all. I think the idea originally was to find one guy out of the group that Rowdy would continue to have his professional relationship with, and that was Craig Malley down the road. But no, there was never any thought about those guys that we just watched ending up in the main main event against the pay-per-view. That was not the plan. Well, thank goodness. Uh, next up after, um, after Layton leaves here, John Tenta is coming to the ring and Mike today is going to announce that he's a former sumo wrestler, which of course is a shoot, but Meltzer would say by this point, the segment was gone and it winds up being, you know, members of Piper's team sort of fighting with each other. And he says, they all showed the intensity of little girls, pillow fighting. And he says backstage while this was going on, the thought process was largely that they were in danger of not only ruining their upcoming pay-per-view, but making it a trifecta for the uncensored gimmick, but also destroying Piper's future drawing power. There was talk of changing the planned finish of the show where all three teams would be in the ring, brawling with each other as the show went off the air to have Piper's team get destroyed and just end this gimmick right there. But for whatever reason, probably because nobody could figure out how to exactly break the news to Piper. The original planned show ending took place. Do you remember that being discussed? Like Jesus. none of it was discussed, Conrad. None. Of, I don't mean to cut you off, but Great. you know, I've I've read some of the uh, some of the feedback on social media, and I, and you know, part of it is driven by you know Meltzer and his fans, you know, accusing me of you know letting Meltzer live in my head. I just want to assure everybody that I only think about Dave Meltzer when he comes up in the context of these podcasts where I have to, when I'm asked to respond to things that he's written or said, um, or when I see or read something that he is specifically targeted towards me in social media, of course I'll respond to it. It's not the most important thing I do all day is rip and melt. So first of all, it's too easy because most of the time he does it to himself. He's too fucking stupid to realize it, but he does. I just happen to take advantage of it in a very easy, fun way. Um, but what Dave wrote, none of it was, None of it was based in reality. It was conjecture on his part. You can tell anybody that reads his stuff or even listens to him or listens to the way, you know, he covered us as you read it for this show. He hated Hulk Hogan, still does to this day. He doesn't like, he didn't like me. He hated me. He didn't like WCW. He, you know, he has the things that he likes that he'll write, you know, great things about. You know, with Japanese wrestling in particular, because not a lot of people watch it, or at least did back then. Um, but he, there was so much bias in everything that he wrote. And then on top of that, he wrote a lot of fiction that was manifest manifested from that bias. And this was a perfect example of that. It was just Dave being what Dave is or was, or still is. By the way, Uprocks would describe the scene that we just saw as Piper and everybody starts to exit the room. That leaves Piper's team as number one, a 43 year old insane man with a replacement hip who once locked himself inside an abandoned prison. Number two, a non-wrestling boxer who was terrible at boxing. Number three, a non-wrestling kickboxer without the strength to properly lift a man half his size. And number four, a fat guy who once thought he was an actual shark and was like the fifth most effective member of the dungeon of doom. And that at least that's entertaining Conrad. That's entertaining stuff. And that concludes probably the worst actual segment in nitro history. Piper had a bad idea, executed it poorly for 20 minutes, filled up a quarter hour of nitro with a weird masturbatory brotherhood fantasy for his movie pals 
alienated the Omni crowd in the last WCW event ever held in one of WCW's most important buildings, further confused his weird story about not working for WCW, despite clearly working for WCW and openly ignored his own established rules to get through a bit that nobody liked. So that's the challenge, but here's the, the crazy part of nitro. We come back from commercial and Jerry Lynn is in the ring under a hood wrestling Ray Mysterio jr. My God, it's the worst of times. It's the best of times. You've got such great talent on this roster. It's only going to go four minutes and seven seconds. And Meltzer would say not as good as most Mysterio matches, but in every Mysterio match in this area, you're going to see some shit you've never seen before. And there's not many more capable performers on this planet than Jerry Lynn. You're right. We did. It was great. And by the way, what was the the final rating of the show? Uh, it dominated the segment we just saw though, was a 4.5 to Raw's 1.5. So, okay. So that horrible segment, that horrible segment, a lot of people watched eh, like five and a half million more people than watch almost six weeks of NXT or AEW combined. Come on. Is there a lesson to be learned? And I wonder what Nitro did the following week. And I don't expect you to know this because we didn't do the research on the following week. But it would be interesting to know, you know, given the the death sentence that Mr. Meltzer gave to Roddy Piper and WCW for trashing its most important building and history and all the horrible things that was achieved during this segment. I wonder how badly it hurt the real ratings for the following week. I wonder how badly it really affected Roddy Piper's career as Dave alluded to might happen. One suspects it had no significant damage in any way, shape, form, or category. I have it pulled up here. Uh, I knew ep- you would. That's why I stretched that out a little bit. <laughs> I want to give you some time. <laughs> the episode here got a 3.4. As we mentioned, raw got a 1.9. A week later, Raw is up to a 2.3. So you know what that means. Nitro's up to a 3.5. So it didn't hurt. It went up. Yep, didn't hurt. <laughs> Fuck you, Dave. Proved it once again. You don't know your shit from a bag of apples. That's okay. You just keep writing that dirt. I love you sometimes, Eric. You're a shit disturber with a capital S. Hey, it's fun, isn't it? Come on. Isn't it fun? Let's also mention, uh, Meltzer says this, this nitro was marketed as the nitro. You would never forget. And after the March 3rd show from Atlanta's Omni WCW would just as soon hope to God that slogan. Isn't the case. It's all because of that one bad segment though. The rest of the show's not. Yeah, no, the entire business got turned inside out. WCW is crashing and burning. The future's over. Oh, the NWO's dead. Roddy Piper will never work in this country again. He just ruined himself. Except for he didn't. (laughs) Oh, God. I love Rey Mysterio in this era. Has there ever been a guy who has changed wrestling as much as Rey Mysterio? I mean, I know we don't talk about that that often. We talk about the NWO and story and, you know, where the ratings were, et cetera, et cetera. But when you talk about real innovators and and trendsetters in wrestling, Rey Mysterio has got to be near the top of the list, doesn't he? Absolutely. But, you know, we covered this the other day, we covered a six man, um, 
that I can't remember everybody that was in that six man. I mean, was, um, Shane Helms. Oh and, yeah. 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 And Jimmy Yang and a whole bunch of other, you know, massively talented individuals. So I, I apologize for not remembering their names, but um, we talked about how the cruiserweight division and those people, particularly in that particular match were, in my opinion, the guys who set the bar for the future of what wrestling would become in 21. 2021 the style that we see today emerged from the matches that took place in that cruiserweight division and of that entire group of people that were a part of that Rey Mysterio to his credit emerged as probably the face of the best of the best of the luchadors in in that style of wrestling that emerged really starting in the mid 90s uh, towards the late 90s so, you know, c- congrats to Ray Mysterio, an amazing career, which, by the way, isn't over. No, still <laughs> he's going. still in the midst of said career, which is even more amazing when you think about it. His son, Dominic, now becoming a superstar in WWE. Congrats to him for that uh, and to Ray. Let's track Medusa for- here right fast. She's talking to Mean Gene. What's going on? We don't see a lot of you. Where have you been, my dear? Where have I been? Good question, right? I have been with WCW for more than a year. I trashed a world-class title in the can to come to WCW and open up women's wrestling. And what do I get? I sit dormant. You know why? Because Eric Bischoff, you're more interested in yourself. Well, they broomed him tonight, so don't worry about that. Broomed? He is more interested in himself and the NWO, which, as far as I'm concerned, stands for New Woman's Organization. Well, if it were up to me, my dear, I would pay a lot of attention to you. Oh, yeah. That, hey, that ain't all. As far as I'm concerned, Eric Bischoff, you should have been fired. Fired. Well, I don't think- and you know what? I am the number one contender, and I will beat Akita Hokuto for the championship. You know, there's a lot of great women wrestlers out there. In fact, here I see Luna Vachon dressed up in her garb saying she's the number one contender. I don't think so. Oh, no. Luna Vachon is here from the... So Luna Vachon makes her WCW debut, does a run-in from behind, and attacks uh, Medusa. She's beating her up in front of fans here against the guardrail. She looks like a crazy person. So nice debut. Lord bless Medusa friend of the show. We love her. We're going to try to do something in Sturgis just for you guys. Uh, when things are safe again, I think it'll be fun. Reminisce some of the old, uh, bike rallies with some of our ad free shows fans, but Akita Hokutu or whatever she called her, it's not her actual name. And she is making a good point. It hasn't been priority, but the whole, uh, the new version of the NWO for women's wrestling. I don't know about that. Now, look, I'm going to be very judicious. Uh, what I'm about to say, because, you know, Medusa is not only a friend of the show and a friend of mine, she's a friend of my family's. Yeah. Um, but look, here, here's the reality. Were there some women, you know, good competitive women wrestlers in the world at that time? Sure. And they were all living in Japan. Um, were there enough talented women wrestlers in 96 and 97 to create a women's division with more than 
three women who wrestled each other week after week after week? No, there wasn't. Sorry, just a fact. That changed, you know, when WWE finally transitioned from eye candy, you know, nuanced sexual innuendo, you know, to actually training women to become, you know, legitimate performers and superstars in WWE. Then all of a sudden, more and more women started coming out because they see the opportunity and more women started training on their own and the independent wrestling schools all over the country. WWE had more to select from, as does AEW today and Impact Wrestling today. But back in 96, 97, that just wasn't there. And was it a priority to go out and scout women who may be interested in becoming a professional wrestler and then train them from the ground up so Medusa would have enough talent to work with? I'm sorry, but admittedly, no, it was not. It just was what it was. Um, I know that's a big thing with Medusa, and it is to this day. You know, yeah, she considers herself to be the leader in the voice of you know, women in professional wrestling and good, good for her for that. It's an admirable cause, but the reality doesn't quite match the expectation, you know, that she had during that period of time, or she has now looking back at that period of time. Pardon the interruption, but I wanted to tell you real quickly about two of the best ways to support 83 Weeks. One is to pick up a shirt from ericbischoff.com. Another is to grab a gimmick from boxagimmicks.com. It's the official store of 83 Weeks. Not only does this support the show financially, but you get to show off your fandom to others, helping spread the word about one of the best podcasts around. So check out ericbischoff.com and boxagimmicks.com. And thank you for listening to 83 Weeks. So there we see the NWO here. And of course, you're the ringleader right in the middle of it. Let's uh, track it. Clear up a few things. We don't have to have, you may have to, we don't. Numero uno. Dr. Schiller, you can't fire me, and you know it, because I, we, are friends with Ted. You tell him, big man. You know, not only does Mr. Bischoff have a personal relationship with Ted Turner, now they're in business negotiations with the hottest property in professional wrestling, and we're talking about NWO negotiations. So, Schiller, take a hike, Jack. And you know, besides that, that's predatory business practices. I've got attorneys. I mean, he's just—it's unfair business for him to even try to control us. We know sometimes people step outside their limitations. Boy, do they! In ever. other words, they have to know their limitations. <laughs> Harvey Schiller, he's out of his league. You and Ted Turner are buds. That's all that matters. But when you talk about people stepping out of their league, people not knowing their limitations, I mean, come on, brothers. Let's shoot with this one. We watch Rowdy Roddy Pied Piper pickled people out here. We watch them suck wind fighting a bunch of wrestling fans. That's his team. Now, who are you going to bet on? Piper's team or my team here? And Macho Man. No, 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 no. Where's Sting here? Let me tell you, my friend. Oh, he's on the left there. When you talk about 
Roddy Piper making mistakes. Macho, tell him what we talked about. Lay it out straight when you talk about icons. First of all, you've got protection. I know that. You ain't fucking dope. Roddy Piper, you need a psychiatrist real bad. True. Look at Sting. Because <laughs> when you wear a shirt that says icon, after Hollywood punked and gunked you twice, brother, when you compare career versus career with the macho man Randy Savage for icon versus icon, you're way in the back. I feel sorry for you, Roddy Piper, because you got a lot of mental problems. You can't even beat Elizabeth. Oh, oh boy. And what? So, I mean, I do like the idea of, of Savage saying, I'm a bigger icon than you are. And listen, that's debatable. Uh, and I like that. That's probably, I mean, that's the basis of every great heel promo. There's just a kernel of truth in there and you, you know, camouflage it up with a bunch of bullshit, but in my eyes, Savage is a bigger icon than Piper. Yeah, this was a little bit of a, um, I mean, it was a great promo in many respects. Um, you know, I, I think Hulk and Randy, both more Hulk in this promo, you know, had to acknowledge just how bad that segment was to, to, to do otherwise would have made Hulk and Randy and the NWO look stupid. There was no avoiding it. Um, but there's, there's a fine line to be crossed and truth is, is a, is a very valuable tool in a promo. Um, but you need to be careful how you handle that truth. If you step over that line and start grinding somebody in a way that's true and believable and real, it can go from being, you know, a great premise for, for a promo to becoming harmful and, and, and not, not do business. And, you know, the, who's a bigger icon. Okay. You know, I'll roll with, roll with that a little bit, but coming off of that disaster that we just came off of, I, I would have preferred in retrospect, I would have preferred that we kind of laid off that just a little bit uh, because there was too much. Roddy did a lot of damage to himself here. Momentary didn't hurt his career. Didn't hurt the ratings for the show. Pretty sure everybody in the Omni left feeling like they got their money's worth. They saw a pay-per-view quality show on free TV, which nobody used to get before, if you remember. So I don't think anybody did any damage to anybody, but it would have been a little bit better to take some of the pressure off Roddy in that promo in, in retrospect. We got a uh, commercial here for uncensored. Boy, these were done way in advance because none of this shit is relevant at all. <laughs> yeah, that happens. The, uh, I do want to mention, um, the main event here is going to be Luger and the giant taking on the Steiners. But what we just saw that you and I didn't mention is coming up out with the rest of the NWO staying in the back and all black and white, uh, emotionless sting and sting is going to come down and have quite a moment at the pay-per-view 13 days from now. One of the crazier crowd reactions ever at uncensored 1997. But this is very much still the era where 
you don't know, is he with us or is he against us? Is he with WCW? Is he with the NWO? And I think the slow burn was probably the secret sauce of that whole sting thing. Right. You disagree? Sting storyline. I mean, I mean, you froze it up there a little bit, Connor. If I stepped on you, I apologize. Uh, no, the slow burn for Sting was without question uh, not only the right approach, but I think it defines storytelling in many respects. And I know the Sting slow burn, scary man um, character, the croak character, the buildup, the, the story that lasted over a year. I, look, I know the payoff sucked. But the story itself was phenomenal. And had there been a different finish to that story, it would probably be up there right with the NWO. It was one of the most successful things that I've ever been involved with. But it was a good story. The giant here, still such an imposing figure. And we've talked about him ad nauseum. Lex Luger here. I guess they're both in similar spots, at least with the NWO. They're both going to become world champions, have big pay-per-view matches against Hulk Hogan, both at Sturgis. But I don't think that anybody really thought that these guys were going to be the guy to, to end the Hulk Hogan NWO thing. It was pretty apparent right away that it was going to be sting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think anybody with a half a brain could have saw that one coming And it. I mean, Yes. There's nothing more to talk about. Sting was the, the guy Luger, you know, Luger had plenty of great opportunities early on and and was successful during almost all of them. Um, his stint in WWF aside, uh, but giant never really clicked. He, He never clicked in WCW. It just wasn't there for some reason. And it, you know, despite the fact that he had a very successful and long career in WWE, he was never really a big, he was never the super, he was never the face. He, he was never the guy that was in, you know, three, four or five main events, you know, pay-per-views a year. He just wasn't that guy. He was an important guy and a talented individual and a good human being. I like Paul, but it just didn't have that star power. We see Lex Luger doing the big flex here as he just nailed, uh, Rick Steiner with a clothesline. This is February or March rather of 97 in 11 months. Scott is going to turn on Rick and break up the Steiner brothers. He's going to join the NWO. He'll start a singles run from there. That'll include every title, including the world title in hindsight. Do you think you should have probably broken them up in 97? Like at this point, it just feels like we've tried a lot of things with the Steiner brothers. We're even going to try them with Ted DiBiase later but they're just not the tag team. It's not as cool as it once was. Maybe it had just run its course. Maybe it was just time. And sometimes you never say that like with the road warriors. I don't think anybody would ever say that, but by this point, I think they probably are more compelling as singles rather than tags. Would you agree with that? Well, yes. And that proved to be true towards the end of WCW when Scott Steiner kind of emerged as a single star. And I think had the potential had things turned out differently for WCW and the fusion media transaction, I think Scott likely could have been the guy for a while. Uh, He got that good. He found himself, his crazy nonsensical promo started becoming 
so entertaining that people would look forward to them. The guys in the back look forward to them. So, you know, when the, when the, when the guys who are working and on the roster are anxiously awaiting one of their peers performances in the ring on the mic, you know, it's probably pretty good. And Scott got to that point, but you're right. You know, I think we should have probably pulled the trigger on splitting them up sooner than later. It would have been more valuable for both of them and for the company. Big double suplex there on the giant. You were with these guys for a long time. We've heard from a lot of other folks that the Steiners would, uh, I don't know, haze rib pick on, uh, horrify, uh, certain talent and personnel backstage. Did you ever see any, uh, Tyler stunts uh, or, or Steiner stunts like that? Well, yeah, I think we talked about it a while back in Chattanooga. One of my first Halloween havocs, um, I was in a dressing room that was essentially a makeshift. Um, uh, it was a wrestling room, a wrestling mat room for collegiate wrestling that was turned into a makeshift dressing room while WCW was performing uh, in at, at the university in Chattanooga. And a referee, and I can't remember, oh gosh, his name is on the tip of my tongue. No, Chip Burnham. It wasn't a referee. It was Chip Burnham, who uh, I think he worked with Gary Jester. Uh, as kind of a local promoter and, and organizer, he, he must have done something to irritate the Steiners. Um, and I mean, really, the ink was still wet on my contract. That's how early this was in my career. But I remember standing in the corner, getting dressed, whatever, and I look over, and they're wrapping duct tape around Chip Burnham. His hands and his feet were all taped up. He was he had tape over his mouth so he couldn't scream. They had stripped his pants off and shoved a pencil up his ass and left him laying there for about an hour and a half. Oh my so God. yeah, I, I, I got a, I got an early taste of that, <laughs> that when I, as I was a talent, a new talent in WCW. Let's track it here. We see the NWO coming through the crowd. Now Piper's team and sting is walking down the aisle. Oh, this is going to be interesting. We may have a preview of uncensored tonight on nitro. They are standing everywhere at the Omni. Piper's team, WCW's men, the NWO's men are here. They got chairs, they got ball bats, they got everything you can possibly imagine. They're here to fight. Piper's got kickboxers, he's got boxers, he's got sumos. You got the Giant, you got Luger, you got the Steiners. You got every imaginable combination you can come up with. And you got the Outsiders, Hogan, DiBiase. Just think about this. Pick your sides because we've got the men. They're here. Hogan, here they come. Hogan's getting in the ring. We've got to go. No, no, We're no, out no. of time, Don't. and they're going to go at it. Don't See you next button. week on Nitro. Don't touch that button, Shanani. Now leave it alone. So a little timing snafu there. You probably want Shivani yelling. We got to go when the show's actually going off the air, but dude, how about those crazy chants? We want sting. We want sting. They're going to get him in 13 days, but man, they were at a fever pitch right here. Yeah. So going back to the comments about how disastrous the Roddy Piper segment was and how much damage it did. Of course, that from Dave Meltzer, do you think anybody in that crowd after the way we ended that show went home, pissed off? Nobody gave a shit. Nobody. They didn't even remember. It was a, it was gone. 
there was so much excitement in that ring, and I defy anybody to point to a recent, and let's pre-COVID now, let's be fair, but point to any televised wrestling show that's occurred in the last five years and point out to me a closing segment with that much heat. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I'll wait right here. Well, you're going to wait until next week because we'll be back for victory road, 2011. I'm pretty excited to cover that one. It's one of our most requested stories. It does have a happy ending, but we are going to have to get in the mud for a little bit for victory road, 2011. Uh, the following week, we'll be back with WCW greed, the very last WCW pay-per-view. And by the way, Eric, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And is it just me or have we been hitting a home run over there with all the content lately? Dude, you've got the magic bat. I mean, you've been <laughs> knocking this shit out of the park. First, the herd interview. Now the Crockett interview, um, you know, mansplaining quickly turning into a big thing. My Kyoto's segments all, gaining a ton of steam, becoming very popular. We've got so much good stuff there that uh, it. I'm telling you, I said this to you on a conference call with your team Two weeks ago, I said, you guys have no idea what's really happening. You do because you're part of it and you can feel it. But I don't think anybody that has the opportunity to work with you behind the scenes at AdFree quite comprehends just how big and fun this project is going to be. And it's because of the great content and the great team of people that you put together to make it all happen. So congrats to the team, obviously to you, Conrad, you're, you're, you're a good leader. But the, the content on adfreeshows.com, I mean, my my social media fills up more throughout the day about adfree shows content than it does anything else. Wow. WWE, AEW, Impact Wrestling, it's adfree show stuff is what people's talking about. So kudos, brother. And I got to tell you, the roster over there is pretty crazy. Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, Arn Anderson, Jim Ross, Kurt Angle, Chris Hero, Gerald Briscoe, Mike Chioda, Carrie Silken, Ian Riccoboni, Blue Meanie, uh, Joel Gertner, Medusa, Rebel, Mance Warner, Dr. Tom Pritchard, on and on and on. We're not done. It continues to grow. You can get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com, plus tons of other bonus content, including. The very first interactive event with your Olympic gold medalist, your Olympic hero, your hall of famer, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kurt angle. You don't want to miss it, man. So much good stuff. Check it out. When you get a chance, it's adfreeshows.com. If you haven't already click the subscribe button here, we greatly appreciate that. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it and tune in next week for victory road, 2011, he is at E Bischoff. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. I want to give a heads up, you know, on all of my commercials for SaveWithConrad.com, you hear me say you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. I say that because I want you to understand we're going to work with you right now. Even if you don't qualify right now, you see, we don't believe in no at first family mortgage. We believe in not yet, but don't take my word on that. Check out this five-star review from Nathan in Hobart, Indiana. He says the level of personal service I received was fantastic. When I first contacted your office, I was not ready to get the best rate. Francis made a point to check with me every few months, just like she said she would during our initial call. Finally, my wife and I were ready and the process was smooth sailing after that. Thank you all so much for saving us $300 a month. 
and lowering our interest rate from 4.65 to 3.125. Most of all, thank you for being nice people. Everyone we dealt with was great. The idea is even if your circumstance isn't right just yet, we're going to work with you and get you some advice on how to increase your credit score, increase your buying power, just get you on the right path to home ownership. We're not going to treat you like the big banks do, like you're just another number. This is First Family Mortgage, and you're our podcast family. And we want to help you save some cash and get on the right track for what your short-term goals are and your long-term goals. If you're looking to save money each and every month, we can help at SaveWithConrad.com. If you're looking to consolidate all of your debt and get it down into one monthly payment and kiss those high interest rate credit cards goodbye forever, we can help you at SaveWithConrad.com. If you're looking to pay your house off faster, we can do it at SaveWithConrad.com. Or maybe you're just looking to buy your first home and you're not exactly sure where to start. You start at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. No matter your circumstance, SaveWithConrad.com can help you get a plan. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.